Welcome to Tent Talk, the podcast with Nancy McCready, where we talk about life under the big tent of God's presence and the provoking process of discipleship. Here we go. Welcome to Tent Talk. Today's episode, The Vows of Our Youth, is going to begin to expose how maybe the words and the vows that we made when we were younger, that we would never let someone hurt us, we would never be humiliated like that again. Those words have wrapped a self-protection around us, which means that the word that the Father has written over your life cannot come to pass until you decide you would rather have His protection than the protection of those old vows made in your youth. Take a listen. I hope it provokes you to go deeper with Him and connect more with me. All right, here we are again, Vows of Our Youth, Part 2. Now, I think there might be a Part 3, but we will see. Let's see how far we can get today. What I want to pull out of this vast, vast topic of the vows of our youth is I want to pull out today what happens when we set through the vows of our youth, we set out to create a person, to create in ourselves someone better than those who harmed us. So I want you to think about this in this time that you're listening to the podcast. Uh, But I don't want you thinking about this by yourself. I want you inviting Holy Spirit in to lead your thinking about this and to let Him direct you in that way. Because if you do that, you don't just end up somewhere in despair, distress, depression, uh, or just sheer anger, uh, again, all by yourself. Holy Spirit, if you let him direct your pain, 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10 in the Amplified Classic says that when God is permitted to direct your pain, with it will come deliverance, salvation, and no regret. All right, so I just want to give that encouragement right up front. Now, I'm going to pull out of my own experience and show you uh, where this deeply affected me when I decided that I would create uh, who I was going to be. And uh, by golly, it's, it's going to be sure that I'm not going to be anything like my mom. So I'm going to use my mom and the way that this showed up in my life with her. Um, and hopefully it's going to help you to get some understanding of what's going on in you as we continue on in this very powerful slow burn process of discipleship. Now, I'm going to read just a very short little one or two paragraphs from my book, uh, From Trauma to Trust, and let's just launch out from there. Now, remember, my mom is not protecting me from my dad who is sexually abusing me. So what I'm writing here is in my teenage years, as things are really dawning on me, as it's getting more ingrained, I am uh, going into overdrive in having to 
handle things myself. I'm seeing things clearer and clearer. Uh, at least I think I am as time goes by. Uh, and so this writing is in that context. And it says, the more proud my mom would be over any of my public accomplishments, the more irritable I would become. It was all tainted and smeared with pretense and lies. I wanted her to care about what was happening privately, yet I was dissolving into a chameleon existence. Not really knowing who I was, I was just adapting to whatever color I landed on. One thing, though, I was sure of, I didn't want to be like her. If she said black, I said white. It didn't matter if God was saying red. The goal became to be the opposite of her. I would carve out my own identity to avoid any likeness to her, no matter what. All my seeming virtues were simply cloaked judgments of her failure. Mm. As I read that, I am just thanking God that he has directed my pain and led me to deep repentance, turning from this judgment upon her, turning from this declaration that I would create who I was going to be. You see, this is a part of what happens in the vows of our youth is when we make the vow, I'm not going to be anything like my parents or I'm not going to be anything like this person who abused me. I will not do what they did. I'm not even capable. I could never do what they did. Now, I understand the statement, but here's what I want to say to you is that when we make vows like that, we are uh, passing an improper judgment upon ourselves. And what we're saying is, I could never be like them. And I want to suggest to you that this is where, whether we realize it or not, we're creating our own avatar. And you're creating an avatar. You're creating a custom-designed person. Uh, and you're saying, I will be like this because I will not be anything like them. And in saying that, we are passing a judgment upon that person that they're from a different, you know, source than me. And I could never do that. I would never do that. I will be a better mother. I will be a better wife. I'm going to be such a great wife that my husband would never have to do what my dad did. Now, I want you to recognize, see how the vows begin to take such a grip because I'm not going to be like her. If she says black, I say white. It doesn't matter if God's saying red. The entire goal becomes to not be like whoever the person is that you've picked out. And now you've picked out an avatar for yourself. You have picked out how you are going to make you. And this is how you are going to represent yourself to the world. You have created this, this person in your own mind that you're going to become. And it's fueled by a judgment that is in error. And let me tell you why. Now, there's so much more to this, but I don't want this to be too long. But I want you to understand that we all come out of the same source with all of the same capacity. doesn't mean I have to be like that. But to think that I'm not, 
to think that I could never be is what sets us up to do exactly what we're saying we don't want to do, which is to become the very thing that we hate. What we're doing is setting up and igniting a spiritual law, a spiritual truth that says that those whom you judge and condemn, you will habitually practice the very same thing. But because you're judging and condemning them in bitterness and in hurt and in pain, that is understandable, but that pain is not supposed to be the driving force of your life because what we're saying is I could never be like them. And what's happening is, is that now we're blinded to how we are becoming exactly like them. Now, I say this is a spiritual truth because this is what it says in Romans 2 verses 1 through 4. It says, therefore, you have no excuse or defense or justification, O man, whoever you are who judges and condemns another. For imposing as judge and passing sentence on another, you condemn yourself, because you who judge are habitually practicing the very same things that you censure and denounce. But we know that the judgment of God falls justly and in accordance with truth upon those who practice such things. And do you think or imagine, O man, when you judge and condemn those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape God's judgment and elude his sentence and adverse verdict? Or are you so blind as to trifle with and to presume upon and despise and underestimate the wealth of his kindness and forbearance and long-suffering patience. Are you unmindful or actually ignorant of the fact that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repent, to change your mind and inner man to accept God's will? Now, I encourage you to read Romans 2, 1 through 4 yourself, because this took me much heartache, much pain, much humiliation to learn the truth of what God is saying here is that it isn't that I can't judge something as sin. Obviously, what my mom did, my dad did, of course it was sin. I could judge that what they were doing was wrong. Where I went off course is when I judged that I myself was never capable of doing the same thing, that I could never be that kind of person. You see, if we do not come into agreement with God's judgment, you see that all of us are capable of all things. Now, it doesn't mean I'm destined to do it, but I've got to recognize that God can judge the old man and can judge uh, that which is not of him as being uh, evil, separate, wicked, even in its goodness. Okay, God is God and he judges that. And I would do well and you would do well to come out of the vows of our youth and come into agreement with what God says is that we are all capable of all things. Yet I can still judge that that which did happen was sin. It was wrong. It was unjust. But where we go off in our vows is we determine I will never be like that. I'm going to be better. You know, I'm going to be better than that. Therefore... I'm going to submit to you that the vows of our youth wrap us up even tighter into the bondage that we will repeat such things and yet not be able to see 
what is happening because bitterness blinds us. And even more importantly is that in you creating your own avatar person that you think you are, is now what's happened is your vow has locked you up in an identity that isn't who God made you to be in Christ. Now let me say this again because this is the point that I'm getting to. Is now you have created a person of high virtue in your judgment against others. And you are going to produce. Therefore, all of your virtues are really coming out of judgment against another person. Did you hear what I wrote in my book? Is that I would carve out my own identity to avoid any likeness to my mother, no matter what. Therefore, all my seeming virtues were simply cloaked judgments of her failure. For more information on Nancy, please visit nancymccrady.com or follow her on social media at nbmccrady. So the first is that I'm creating my own person and I've judged that I am better than them. But what that really does is it keeps me from stepping over into Christ and becoming who he made me to be to himself to the people in my life, and to my generation that I'm called to serve. This is very key. We need to understand that when we live in the vows of our youth, we are acting like God. We are passing judgment. We are um, forming an image, uh, an avatar person. We are custom designing the ideal person that we think that we should be. And all of that is busting from that root of pride. I'm not like other people. I would never do this. And what we've set up is Romans 2, 1 through 4, is we are going to be habitually practicing the very same thing and yet be blind to it. But God's goodness and God's kindness is going to lead us to repentance Because we've obligated him now to have to show us in technicolor panoramic view that all of us have the capacity for all sin. And as he brings you to that place, as you have to come to that place to see, I was never meant to produce my own virtue. I was never meant to uh, have to create my own identity. And so the the breaking process that God brings us through is that the power of the cross has to be released usually time and time and time again to begin to break that that, uh, vow of pride that we have wrapped around us uh, so thick that any suggestion that I would be anything like them could, could erupt in arguments. I mean, God help the man or woman that says to their spouse, you're just like your mother, you're just like your father, and here it goes, man. It's throw down time, right? Because I am nothing like them. And yet, look at the faces of your family. Look at the faces of your spouse, your children, maybe those whom you lead, uh, who are walking on eggshells, Now, again, that's their flesh on your flesh, but I'm just talking to you about yours right now, okay? So we've got to recognize that this issue of of the vows of our youth continuously dictating 
to us who we will be and not be, what we will do and not do, you see, uh, has got to be dealt with by the power of the cross, by the very power and the presence of God himself coming to us and dealing with us because we have judged improperly. We have judged improperly our capacity of being like someone else. It isn't that we may have judged improperly that it was sin. Of course it was sin. Any way that a person tries to meet their needs independent from God is sin, especially when it comes to creature worship and you are using another person, uh, scamming them and using them to meet your needs. Of course that is sin. But it is also sin for me to create another kind of person and worship the person, my own avatar, that I have created because that too is creature worship. As a matter of fact, that's the source and the core of all other creature worship, according to Romans one twenty-five, is that at the fall, man became worshipers of the creature rather than the creator. And I would say to you, the first creature that we worship is ourselves. And then we decide what we're going to be like. And then actually, we also create other avatars because we're looking for that perfect person, right? That will love us perfectly. You know, that we are still looking for, um, you know, to create our avatar, who we are. And then we're looking for the avatars, if you will, in other people. Because I know that perfect person out there is somewhere out there that will love me the way I want to be loved, that will treat me, that will see how important I am, and they'll be kind to me. And what happens is, is we're creating, again, these fantasy embodiments of the ideal person. And I'm here to tell you carefully and respectfully, they don't exist. It is a fantasy. And it is fantasy faith to try to have this happen within the church. Whether you're fantasizing about your leader, your mentor, your pastor, um, you know, the latest celebrity, whatever. We have obligated God in this hour of history now. He's going to do it. And it is about to have to be shown what everything really is. And God is coming to do that. I want you to have uh, a head start in that. I want you to recognize what God is doing and why he's having to expose. Because he's not just exposing the most recent celebrity within the church. In doing so, he loves that person and he wants to bring them to himself. And he also wants to break the fantasy atmosphere where the church is idolizing those people. God, in one fell swoop, can come and begin to redemptively expose the vows of our youth, the ramifications of that, the ripple effect of that in the household of faith. I'm not addressing the world right now. I'm addressing his sons, his people who are called by his name, yet are looking to themselves and to everyone else for their answers. But God is bringing us to himself. So I pray that this portion of the vows of our youth, that this opens you up to see that uh, whatever person you've been trying to become, if it's just in judgment against whoever's hurt you in the past and you've judged in your pride that you could never be like them, you've actually set yourself up against God because God says we're all capable of all things and he will show that to you. Trust me, it was a huge part of my deliverance, and that's a part of what's in my book, From Trauma to Trust. 
And we've got to recognize that God is coming for us. And it's not to just shame us. We've done a good job of shaming ourselves, even though we're blinded to it and we don't realize it. God is coming to deliver us from our shame. Because see, it says that we glory in our shame, but we don't even realize it. So I want to stop here. I don't want to be too abrupt in stopping. I know that I'm talking about things that can run deep within us, but we've got to be able to take this in bite-sized pieces and we've got to begin to turn to him. His kindness is intended to change our minds and to bring the inner man to accept his will and his truth as the power of the cross is breaking, breaking in to those vows of our youth, beginning to shatter these prideful thoughts that we have had, these these prideful declarations that we have had, and we humbly come to God and realize, God, I want to bow to you and say, you make me who you made me to be. I no longer want to be my avatar, and I'm no longer looking for my perfect avatar in other people. You are the one I've been looking for, Father. Forgive me for seeking it in people and putting ungodly demands upon them because of the vows that I made in my youth, where I have put a, a, a judgment upon myself that, I'm, that I thought better of myself than I ought to have. You see, this is when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought, and we don't realize how we're opposing who we really are in Him and because of His goodness. It is a good thing to want the perfect person. What I'm saying to you is turn now to Jesus, to the Father and to the Holy Spirit, and behold the perfect one you have been seeking all of your life turn to them. They're drawing you right now. Turn to them. Collapse into them. They will catch you. They will free you. They will speak to you, guard you, and protect you like no vow of your youth could ever do. So Father, right now, I just thank you that for those that are listening right now, that the piercing work of the cross is opening them up. They are seeing things that they have never seen before. I thank you that you are granting unto them one of your greatest gifts, which is the gift of repentance, where we can turn, we can feel a grief such as you have meant for us to feel, and it returns us to you. Now, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are going to lead them. You are going to tend to them, care for them, nurture them. And you are also going to expose the source of this pride. You are also going to speak things to them that will be as the velvet hammer. I thank you, Father, for the total way that you deliver those that belong to you because no one knows how to deliver us like you. And you are delivering us from our own prideful ways and you're delivering us to yourself that we might live in you, with you, and for you as who we are right now in this hour of history. I thank you for it, Father. I commit every person listening into your care, Father. And I thank you. That is where their safety is. That is where their nurturing and flourishing is. That's where their maturity is, is in you. We no longer want to be people of our own making. We want to be made and built and matured by you. 
In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray right now, Father. Amen. 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 So I can't wait until we're together next time. I love you all. If you'd like information on how to book Nancy McCready for an event or speaking engagement, visit nancymccready.com.